Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. I find myself so many times just being in awe of where I'm at and and what God has, has done with me. As many of you know, when I came on, I, I just saw myself as a as a village boy from Africa. I, I, I'm African. I was born there. I love Africa. I love the villages in Africa. And uh, one of the things that I've realized is that when you're in the villages and you bring the salvation message, many of these people have already see, received salvation. There has been many people that have preached to them. So many of them have over the years reached salvation and they do love the Lord. When it comes to the life after the cross, and when I say life after the cross, I'm not minimizing the cross. We have to get beyond the cross of Jesus. We always look back to the cross. And when we minister to people, we minister to people through the cross. But there is a Christian life after the cross, and that is a big part of discipleship. And that is a big reason why I love the ministry of Joshua Nations, because it is a discipleship tool, a church-based discipleship tool that you can use to get people discipled. You cannot disciple people without using the word of God. And discipleship, I tell people, discipleship is ugly work. It's easy to go and stand in front of a crowd and preach to them and throw out a net and get them saved. But when it comes to discipleship, you have to be in and among the people. You have to be with those who have addictions. I struggle with sinus and Um, When I'm around people that smoke, man, the next day I can't breathe. But I have to be around those people and I have to talk to them. And I cannot just tell them you have to stop smoking because, you know, uh, maybe you won't go to hell, but you smell like you come from there. You know, and I don't want to chase people away. So it's a process of walking with them. And you have to use the word of God to train your people. A lack of discipleship brings a void in leadership. All over the world, we see that leadership is not doing so well. And it is because we haven't discipled those leaders. We haven't built into them. Now, maybe you're a person on here. You have uh, trained up leaders and um A lot of people are building their own little kingdoms and they're scared when a young man comes up and he's a strong leader that he's going to steal your kingdom. And it's not your kingdom. We are supposed to take hands with our Lord Jesus Christ and build the kingdom of God. And the church is where it's at today because we are building our own kingdoms. We are not building the kingdom of God. 
When I look at the Bible, you're supposed to raise people up and send them out. A long time ago, I heard an interview with an old pastor out of Canada. And uh, he was having a big church at that stage. Uh, it was before uh, a mega church was a thing. And uh, he, was, he was reaching about eight 900 people. And they asked him, what is your success? Why is your ministry so successful? And he said to the person that was asking the question, the interviewer, he said, don't look at the number of people I have and ask me where my success comes from. Because your success is not in the number of people that you have that you can gather on a Sunday. Rather ask me, how many people have I sent out? How many people are in ministry because of my ministry? How many churches have we planted? How many missionaries do we have? And while I'm talking about missionaries, you know, I really believe that it's time for the nations to start raising up missionaries and sending them back to those who have colonized them. Those who have colonized our nations don't have the gospel anymore. And they need them. I don't know if you were on, uh, but a little bit ago, uh, Jason said that even here in the United States, we have unreached people groups. Unreached people groups are people groups that have 2% or less people that are Christian. And we have places in the United States that have 2% or less unreached people group. So sometimes I sit and wonder, why are these guys building these mega churches and not sending uh, pastors to go plant churches with those unreached people groups? Because they've got money, they can pay a guy to have a salary for two or three years while he's planting a church and then revisit the plan. You know, uh, Pastor Emmanuel and I were talking the other day and I asked him, um, the village that you're from, is there a church in your village? What about those people? We just finished up with Joshua Nations and our partner ministry in the nation of in Niger, there was seven unreached, unengaged people groups. So when Joshua Nations and City to the Nations um, started their ministry over there, these people had never heard the gospel. Nobody was preaching the gospel to them. And there were no Christians among them or very little Christians among them. And after three years, there's... Churches, people are saved. Those people groups, those tribes are engaged. We've got two Joshua nations, schools running among them. And now we're looking at what would it look like to have a church in every village. And we have given that project over to the local people. It is now their responsibility. Guys, we cannot keep looking to the West to finance us and to come up with the leadership that we need to reach our people and our nations. We have to take initiative. 
And I'm speaking not as an American. I'm speaking to you this morning as an African. And I am passionate about making disciples. Because we are not making disciples in these villages, we find that these people go back to their ancestral worship when they run into a problem. Because they know Jesus saves, but nobody has told them how to pray and how to engage God. One of the things that happen when you get saved, when you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven. And now you can come into the throne room of God with boldness and make your requests known. Guys, think about that. You as a mortal mere man, when you are praying, you are standing in the throne room. And God is listening to your prayer. Where I grew up, man, you go into a church, one of those village churches, and they start praying. And don't get me wrong, I love it. But they start yelling and screaming. And I'm wondering, is God deaf? Can he not hear them? Oh, God, here we are. Have you forgotten about us? You know, I, 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 I know that sometimes we pray and we feel like the heavens are brass. But the word of God says we can come into the throne room with boldness and make our requests known to God. Let me give you guys a little bit of testimony. Maybe so five or six years ago, God gave me a word that I am supposed to come back to the United States. And I don't necessarily want to be here. I want to be in Africa. I love getting in my truck, loading it full of Bibles and clothes and driving up to Zambia and going to bless the people there. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So through that, we reached and we changed a community in Zambia. And I loved it. I looked forward to it. I looked forward to Brother Chris Crane joining me and others joining me. I used the time in my truck because you're sitting in that pickup truck for hours to two and a half days, three days of driving. And I brought others in. If they weren't saved, man, it didn't take long. And then men start sharing. And they start sharing about the hardship that they're going through. And, you know, you talk and, and you get to minister to these guys. And I loved it. And all of a sudden, I tell my wife, I said, Lindy, I believe God said, we need to go back to the United States. And she's the American. And she looks at me and she says, no. Guys, and when your wife says no, no is no. You know, I don't know about your wife, but my wife is strong. And I wanted a strong woman because I knew I was going to be in ministry. I need somebody that when I'm not around to be able to take charge of the ministry when I'm not there and my house and need to be able to make decisions and make plans when I'm not around. So I wanted a wife that is strong 
that can stand on her own two feet. And when my American said no, I knew no is no. And she's an American. You don't mess with the Americans. They have big guns and they're proud of their guns. So I knew I was, uh, this was a problem. So I went back to God. I said, God, this woman that you have given me said no. So you have to work in her. And it took about three years for her to come in line with the will of God. Now, not that she was outside the will of God. You have to remember, she came over to Africa. She learned my language. She learned the ways of my people. We started a ministry out of nothing with blood, sweat, and tears, and many, 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 many nights on our knees, praying, asking, Lord, we need finance. Father, we need children to come to the school. Father, this teacher is giving us a hard time. What can we do to build into them? And I understand. I mean, in myself, I didn't want to come here. From the outside, America looks like the land of milk and money. But when you are here, you've got to work hard to get the milk and the money. It's not just easy. So after three years, we, 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 we decide we're going to come over. We get an opportunity, everything that my wife asked for. And then I find myself just like all the other immigrants, just like all the stories that you've heard. My wife, myself, and our two children in one room. And we desire Africa. We look back at Egypt. Egypt was good. Man, can we not go back to Egypt? In fact, I, I, I came to a place one night and it's like, Lord, I made a mistake. Father, forgive me. I know I'm quick to ask for forgiveness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to repent and I'm quick to try and pick up relationship and go on. And, and my mind just told me because now man in me took over. It's no longer my spirit man. Now, now I, I'm in the flesh and I'm like, Lord, I made a mistake. I'm going to go back to the last place that I heard you speak, which is a lot of money away from us and many, many miles. There's no income coming in. Right now, our savings is going so fast. And I made that decision. I spoke to the law of God. It was about midnight when I spoke to God. And I said, tomorrow I'm talking to my wife. I'm going to apologize to my wife and say, baby, I made a mistake. And uh, we got to go back. I still have a house there. Uh, I knew that I could get my house. We had given the ministry over. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a resilient guy. I, I can start over. We can, we can go back. We can do something. And about three in the morning, my phone started ringing. Pastor, your house is burning down. And I thought to myself, what? What now? Lord, I have apologized. I've made my decision. I'm going back to the last place that, you've, that I heard your voice. You, you and I had this plan, God, about I've got a house. At least I've got a place to go to and a roof over my head. Out of one room. Not allowed to use the kitchen when the people are at home. 
living out of box food because we don't have a, a decent refrigerator. God, what are you doing to me? And just staying the course. Now I understand. Even in the beginning when I started with Joshua Nations, I was like, man, I'm not sure about this. This is a great ministry, but I'm not sure about this. It seemed like I gave up so much and got so little back. Man, I had my own kingdom. I had my own school. I had my own income. I didn't have to ask people so that I could go on a mission trip. There was enough money for me once a year to go on a mission trip. Maybe once or twice a year to send my father over to Pastor Emmanuel. So that he could go and keep ministering to them. So that we could keep this discipleship thing going that we started. But it was my kingdom. It was my kingdom that I started. And God can take that away from you. Just like this. So be careful of starting your own kingdom. Be careful that you're not doing the things of God and forgetting about the God of things. The scripture verse that I love to use is Romans 8.28. For everything works together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Guys, doesn't matter what the situation is. Doesn't matter where you find yourself in right now. I know some of the nations that are here before me. It's not going well in those nations. If you are in a nation where you can buy petrol and diesel and gas, you are blessed. I just spoke to a gentleman last night that said to me, my baby was in the hospital. And the challenge is there's not medication in my nation right now. Please pray. So we are blessed. I've got a, I got a picture out of Cuba with a person standing with a piece of bread in their hands. And I thought to myself, man, the Mupani worms that I'm used to eating in Africa sound much better than this piece of bread that I'm having to look at right now. I'd rather eat that. Mupani worms fried up in garlic butter. It, at least my stomach will feel full because at this bread that I'm looking at doesn't look so good. But everything works together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. When you find yourself in a situation that is tough, in a situation that is bad, you have to remember Everything works together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Genesis 37, verse 3 through 11. We're going to look at Joseph, my buddy Joseph. Remember, guys, while you're looking up the scripture, you cannot walk out in the day what you don't dream in the night. You cannot walk out in the daytime what you are not dreaming in the night. Let's look at Joseph from verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all the other children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, but 
when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than the other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him even more. I can just imagine how arrogant this little guy must have been. Verse 6, so he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamt. There we were, building sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his work, for his words. Then, the, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have had yet another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is the dream that you have dreamt? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You see, when we look at Joseph, we realize that we are not here for ourselves. We are not here to build our own kingdom. We are here for others. Our ministries is not for us. Our ministry is for others, especially as leaders, especially when you start in full-time ministry. Joseph's life was there to benefit an entire nation. In Joseph's life, God used all circumstances to work together for the good. Just like Romans 8.28 says, when he was thrown into prison, did that work out for the good? I mean, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go sit in prison and say, hey, God, this will work out for my good. This will benefit me. This will benefit the entire nation. Woohoo! Praise God, I'm going to prison. You know, here in America, it might be a little different. The prisons look a little different, but I don't want to go and sit in a Zambian or a prison or a prison in the DRC or go to Pakistan and sit in the prison. Oh, God, you put me in prison. Praise God, this will benefit the entire nation. I don't think that's fun. I like my house. I like my bed. I like being around my wife and my kids. At that stage, I don't think the first thing you're going to think of is Romans 8.28. This is for my good. God's going to use this. But we cannot become hopeless. Joseph was not hopeless. Hopeless people don't dream dreams. They refuse their dream rather than to face disappointment. Your dreams make you vulnerable. And when you dream and you tell people, you're going to face rejection. And none of us want to have rejection. I have never seen anybody that loves and relishes rejection unless they've got hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Rejected people will always reject people. 
Joseph suffered rejection because of his dream. Without hope and dreams, you have no direction. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You will become sick. Hopeless people become sick people. You got to fight against hopelessness. Joseph, when he was in prison and when he was sold into captivity, looked like a direct contradiction to his dreams. He went to jail for doing nothing wrong. He went to jail for running away from sin. He didn't go to jail because he did anything wrong. He had this beautiful woman that came up to him and said, come and share my bed. How many men of God do we know that have fallen to this? How many men of God have you known over the years that have lost their ministry, lost their respect from, from their children? And he's talked about because they didn't run away from the beautiful woman. How many men of God are talked about because they couldn't keep their hands off the gold? How many men of God are talked about because they relish glory? They want to be the glory boys. They want to be the ones, the super pastor, the one with the big church. I am not impressed by big numbers anymore because we are not supposed to make converts. We are supposed to make disciples. The directive from our Lord Jesus Christ was go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them what I have taught you. That is the directive that we have from Jesus. To go and make disciples. If you have a large church. And the church is disciple. God bless you. I love that. If you have a small church. And you're discipling your people. I love that. that that's what impresses me. It impresses me when you have a church. And you say I have sent people out. There are ministries across my nation. Because of people that have been raised up. And sent out by my church. There are people groups being engaged because of the dream that God has given me. It hasn't been an easy road, but I've walked it out. I've stayed with God. Joseph's secret was that he did not grow bitter in the time of adversary. When the difficult times came, he did not grow bitter. He did not get bitter to God. I know people that are so bitter to God that they are cursing God. I spoke to a guy on the phone and, and he started using all kinds of language that I cannot even utter to God. And I had to take the phone that I was holding and put it away from me because I was scared lightning was going to strike him and somehow jump through the phone and hit me in the ear. Don't grow bitter. Guys, I could have been bitter at any time. I've got so many knives in my back. But the key is not to give up. The key is to keep going on. The last freedom that can be taken away from you is your decision to dream or your attitude. Don't let anybody take that decision away from you. 
Remember, your attitude determines your altitude. Don't let anybody take your dream away from you. Joseph had to go through many things before he could see the realization of his dreams. The first thing is he faced adversary from his brothers. Many of us have faced adversary from others in the church. That's what this is talking about. When you start doing what God tells you to do, the world is not going to come after you and say, what are you doing? It's probably going to be the church. Why are you here? You're stealing my people? Are you here to take the money from my church? The first thing that you're going to get is you're crazy. Jason Resende, you will never be able to buy that big boat and reach those unreached people groups. You will never turn it into a hospital ship to have the people know that you care about them. Those are big dreams. I've never dreamt about having a ship that goes up and down the Amazon River. That's not something that, that you come up with by yourself. Oh, this is a great idea. I have no money and I am looking at this big ship and I'm going to turn it into a hospital. That's not something you come up with by yourself. That's a vision that God gives you. That's a dream that God gives you. You know, and don't go boasting about it. We're supposed to go to the DRC, to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And for those of you who know or don't know, that place is expensive. I don't know why it's expensive, but it is expensive. And we had a budget. And I went to, to Brother Jason and I was like, Brother Jason, the DRC wants us to come. They're ready for us. They've got pastors ready. We can go and train. And he's like, what's the budget? If ever you speak to Jason, you will always know what is the budget. That's a great idea. What is the budget? And he told me, he's like, DRC is not in the budget for this year. And I said to him, well, it's going to cost this much. And he looked at me and he said to me, so where and who are you going to ask for the money? How are you going to raise the money? How am I going to raise the money? I've only been in this nation for two years. I don't know where people are that I can talk to that's going to give me $25,000. Who do I? Maybe you guys have people that you can talk to that can give you that much dollars. I don't. I didn't say anything. But inside, it felt like I was dying because these guys are ready for us. They want us to come. And I understand if there's no money. So I called up my, my buddy, Chris, uh, Pastor Chris and I, we traveled together a lot. We've traveled and uh, he's my prayer partner. I, I'm, I'm very good at having uh, prayer partners. I believe in it. Somebody that you can go to, that you can take hands with, because the word of God says where two or more are gathered, there he is. One will set a thousand to fly two tens of thousand. So I'm quick, quick to share my faith and to put my faith with somebody. And I called Chris. And I'm like, man, you know, this is not in the general budget. There's no money available for going to the DRC. And Chris said, well, that's not a biggie. We'll just start praying. Because we've had prophecies about five or six years ago that we need to go to the DRC. And every time we wanted to go, it said it's too dangerous. We'll tell you when it's, when it's safe. We cannot, we cannot host you right now. So that, that was the big issue. They didn't want to take responsibility for our safety in times of trouble. And I understand that. I mean, I don't want to go to a nation where, 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 where I could be abducted. And, uh, you know, who, I don't want to go to a prison in the DRC, please, guys. Um, so we start praying about it. 
And we're at a staff retreat. And brother Jason gets a phone call. And I could see he's happy because his face looks like this when he's happy. Look at his face. His face. He, he could be really happy right now as he's sitting there. He could be really sad as he's sitting there. See? So you don't know. But I knew he was happy after the phone call. And he looked at me. He said, somebody has just given us the money to go to the DRC. The money has come in. And all we did was, I don't have anybody to go to. I don't have anybody that just can write checks. Just because you guys think I'm in this great nation of America, and it's a great nation. I love this nation. We need to pray for this nation because the attack on this nation is severe right now. I don't have anybody that just writes checks. Every time I need something, they write me a check. I, I don't have that person to go to. And many of you think that Jason is that person. He's really not the person that writes just the checks. For those of you who just run to him with requests, he, he just doesn't write the checks like that. I went to God. I entered into his throne room. I took the portion that was mine that God had given me. The last thing that Joseph faced was promotion. He got promoted and he did not get a big head. What are you going to do when God promotes you? Money doesn't make you. It only reveals who you really are. What will you do with promotion? What will you do when revival breaks out in your church and all of a sudden you have a big church? I have made it. I'm the man. Money calls me daddy. What will you do when you get promotion? What will you do when you get called to your state house and asked to lead prayer? Are you going to be the same person leaving that state house as the one who entered? Or are you going to walk around with a ballooned head? We're running out of time, and I'm going to leave you guys with this. Jesus was feeding the 5,000. They were hungry. If you go and read that passage, that's an amazing passage. You can preach out of that passage for days because it says that when Jesus left and he was tired, people saw him going across the sea and they ran around. They literally, they ran to meet him on the other side. So when he got to the other side, he found a crowd of people there. They didn't send them away. They start ministering to them again. So we pick it up in verse 37. The people are hungry. There's the, the Bible says it's a desolate place. There's, there's nowhere to go and buy food. And uh, we pick it up in verse 37. But he answered them and said to them, you give them something to eat. He's telling the apostles, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fishes. And he commanded them to make them sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And then he had taken the loaves and fishes. He looked up to the heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people and the two loaves and fishes. 
he divided among them. So they ate and were full, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish, and those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, not people, 5,000 men. There's women and children too. So here's the thing. What is Jesus telling you to do? What is Jesus telling you to do? My mandate is to go and make disciples. The DRC is waiting. What is Jesus telling you to do? I'm not asking you that you want to build a house and now you say Jesus told you to build this house. I'm not saying that you want a new car and Jesus said you must go buy a new car. I'm talking about this, the Bible. What is Jesus telling you to do? So here's the thing. I hope you guys are listening careful because I'm going to say this just once. And I want you guys to get it. If you do what Jesus tells you to do, he will bring the miracle. If you didn't get it, I'm going to tell you once more. Jesus told them, make them sit down in groups. The disciples did what Jesus told them to do. And Jesus took what they had and performed a miracle. If you listen, not building your own kingdom, and you do what Jesus tells you to do, it's his responsibility to bring the miracle. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you are encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more information from Joshua Nations, visit our website, joshuanations.org.